0: and yeah we're doing uh, obviously god's love again or love again um and like i said this morning it's something that we could just keep working on for the whole of our lives and only still scratch the surface um but my hope is that we have all of our hope is that we have eternity to actually experience it so Today, looking at Old Testament love and New Testament love, or is God the same? Is his love the same in the Old Testament as in the New Testament? And I know that some of you already got that uh, sentence in your head that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. But as we read the New Testament and the Old Testament, there are some differences. So that's what I just thought we'd have a look at. And I know for many people, they avoid the Old Testament because they think it's bloodthirsty, it's violent. I think maybe God does endorse genocide. Is that true? There's floods, there's plagues, there's wars, there's snakes. Even the Red Sea wipes out a whole army. Is he indiscriminate in his judgment? And add to that, there is a whole bunch, many, many laws, um, and it's just, there's hundreds of them. Can we stick to them all? And if we can't, what is the judgment that might land upon us? And we get to the New Testament, and we think, oh, thank goodness for that. Jesus has come to turn the other cheek, to tell us to love our enemies, and even to die for our sins. That is love. We've got that beautiful passage just read. There's love. So is that really how it is? Now, we need to remember that the whole of the Bible has been described as God's love letter to the world. And that is for sure. Love definitely goes throughout Old and New Testaments. So we've just heard in 1 Corinthians 13, this guide for us to know how to love. And um, it gives us some things to work with. So when I'm not being patient, I know from God's word, I need to work on that. And it really helps me to do that. There's a whole load of other things, isn't there? It's not just patience. Many ways that we can manifest or express our love come up in that beautiful verse. And it is also, to a greater extent, a description of how God loves. We can see those qualities right throughout the Bible in both Testaments. He is the source of love. He is love. His love is divine, perfect And he lavishes it upon us in the Old Testament and in the New with an extravagant abundance. It's of a different quality, magnitude and nature to ours, even on our best day. And although we are made in his image for sure, we do have human limitations to how well we can express the love that he has given us. So love is patient, love is kind, not easily angered. Um, I love that story of of people trying to work their way through it and tick them off as they say, yeah, I've got that one, I've got that one. Oh, how's everybody doing? Are we near the end? Is everybody else stuck on the first one? Yeah. (laughs) Stuck. Patience. How many times have I not been patient? Or patience with gritted hands and teeth. It's just like, oh, it's not real proper lovely patience. Anyway... Patient, loving, kind, not easily angered. The Old Testament said all that first. Let's go to Exodus 34. This is where the Lord is talking to Moses. Chisel out the two stone tablets like the first one. We're on to the second lot of the Ten Commandments. Somebody had a paddy and threw the first lot down. So he's talking to Moses, and as he passes in front of Moses, he proclaims. The Lord, the Lord. Now, actually, Andy, you had this as Yahweh, Yahweh, didn't you? Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So there we have that compassionate grace, slow to anger, abounding in love. God said it, so it's true of him. It's repeated in Psalms 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And again in Nehemiah in 917. This is where the temple has gone well, They're built, um, they are confessing their sins, and Nehemiah does a beautiful prayer. You are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished, and they reveled in your great goodness. Out of his love, he provides everything that we need and more. Now, um, just back to the first mention of the word love in the Old Testament. It's in Genesis 22. Now, God has done loving things in providing and creation already, but this is the first time that word is used in the Bible. And this is where God tests Abraham, and he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. So this is an offering of Isaac. It's a clear picture of Jesus on the cross which also is one of the greatest, well, the greatest act of love. The next mention of love is Isaac's love for Rebecca. And um, he had a servant sent out to go and find his wife, him a wife. And so in this, you have a picture of the husband's love for the wife, which is representing a picture of Christ's love for his church. And we've just had with the membership for Denise and Sue, where one of the phrases was he calls us to protect the unity of the church because we play a part in being a place of love. So these two images are brought together in John 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. These are the words of Jesus telling us now, remain in my love. So you have the love of a father for his son, as the Father has loved me so I have loved you, which is the love of a bridegroom for his bride, reminding us of that picture of Isaac and Rebecca. So God loves his creation, he loves people, he loves the whole world and he loves his church, so people divided in some way to some extent. And um, it's just throughout the whole of the Old Testament in between those walls and uh, moments of violence and judgment i love isaiah 43 this is one of my favorites this is what the lord says he who created you jacob he who formed you israel do not fear for i have redeemed you i have summoned you by name you are mine when you pass through the waters i will be with you And a bit later on, you are precious and honoured in my sight. And because I love you, I will give nations in exchange for you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. So I am with you, that's again reflecting in the Old and New Testament. It's been true forever. Jesus says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And think in Psalm 139, he is with us because he loves us right the way through, every contact with us, Old Testament and you. I also think of the prophets. So they were the interface between everything that God was speaking to the people, and they were there on the ground actually seeing the rebellion. And they were kind of in that place, sandwiched in between. And they forecast the judgments, they heard from God, they knew exactly what was going on because God was speaking to them, and they passed these messages on, warning of the destruction of the people of the cities. Yet these prophets, without exception, all speak of God's love. And similarly, the authors in the New Testament, they've been brought up on the Torah, on these five books, first five books of the Bible. So they know all about the laws and the judgments. They know all about the repercussions of not getting it right. They all speak of God's love. Just thinking back to Nineveh, Jonah gave them a warning. They repented. God withheld his judgment. Because he is patient, he is a God of second and many other chances. But Nineveh returned to their wicked ways. And later on, another prophet, Nahum, who followed, he said this. He said, who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. And yet the next verse, the Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. So where do we get this idea or how, how is it that we can sometimes feel that there's more love and less wrath in the New Testament And I feel, my best guess is that the outworkings of the judgment in the Old Testament seem to be very graphic. Uh, The famine, the siege, the slaughter. And we can envision these. We've seen pictures on the news of what it looks like. We may have seen films of wars and um, other difficult times. We can imagine what it's like to live in Ukraine right now. Christian aid material quite often shows people starving or in a drought, And uh, the genocides in our lifetime around the world. um, We all see these things on the news. And in November, we'll see images from the world wars as we remember. So very much in our lifetime, there is so much material that enables us to relate to the horrors of those immediate graphic kind of judgments. And it's appalling and we can be really disturbed by them. It impacts us deeply deeply to see these happening to human beings around us in the here and now. But let's not think that there's no judgment that's uh, in the New Testament. The focus is less on these immediate kinds of judgment. And when I say immediate, I mean not that God isn't patient. He goes generations of warnings and warnings before he actually enacts his judgments But in the New Testament, the focus is less on those kind of uh, judgments and more so on what happens in the afterlife. And here we do come up into a a very difficult reality. Uh, Jesus talks about the wailing and gnashing of teeth. And I was really surprised as I looked into this that nobody talks more frequently and seriously about hell than Jesus. I was shocked to find that. But... It's not that he is more wrathful at all. They are both there in a good balance, the love of God and the justice of God because he is holy. God created a perfect world. He lovingly formed us in his image. He walked in the garden in the cool of the evening. He blessed and guided Abraham and many others afterwards. He sings over us as cat mentioned last week sings over us exalting over us it's the same god who has a plan to bring us back into relationship with him it's the same god who will inflict eternal punishment on those who do not believe in his son but how did we get here talking about god's love and we've moved into the judgment of wrath so where does this wrath come from it actually comes out of the love that he has for us. And I really relate to this um, that when we see somebody doing something risky, we very rarely say in a quiet, calm voice, please don't do that. It often comes out, is this just me? <laughs> Am I bearing too much again? It comes out as no, or look out, or don't be foolish if somebody's stepping out into the road without having checked we're not gentle about it we might grab them back we might shout and then say you idiot it sounds angry is that a christian (sighs) lord forgive me sorry it sounds angry but it's coming from a place of concern it's our emotional response which is kicking in before we can override it god However, although he does feel emotion, his love does have emotion in it. He feels joy and anger, sadness and love. But he's not controlled by his emotions. He does not respond out of how he feels, but out of wisdom and knowledge. It's always in alignment with love, because that is who he is. The laws that God wants his people to observe... And here I'm going to talk about the Torah, but we all know the Ten Commandments still apply. There are many different laws that still apply for us. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the the word Torah can be translated as the loving instructions of a parent or guardian. The loving instructions. So next time we're reading through those long lists of laws, remember, they are loving instructions. In Deuteronomy 11.22, again, one of my favorite verses. If you carefully observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will. And it goes on to say all the wonderful things that he will do for us. So the Torah, the law, is not a set of harsh, unbending instructions to rob us of joy, to hem us in, and to make life difficult. In Proverbs 1, um, 1 verse 8, it says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. So it's a beautiful image of us watching that we do follow the instructions and advice that we're given, especially in the Bible, but also from parents, and recognising that they enhance our life. They are instructions to help us get the most from our relationship with God, to help us to see him for who he is, and to live lives that reflect our identity in him. So God is love, but he's also holy and just. And being holy, he is set apart from all that is not good. And being just, there needs to be a penalty for wrongdoing. So his judgments cannot be seen as immoral, undiscriminating acts of uncontrolled anger. They are carried out after many warnings over many generations, hundreds of years, and often with room for a second chance or a third chance, or however many it takes. When they were exiled, there was a the promise of a return from exile. There are other concessions where it's appropriate. But his wrath is not towards the person so much as righteous anger towards the sin. So the same God of law and promises fulfills those laws and promises in the New Testament in and through Jesus when Jesus came to save us from our sins and fulfill the law, that doesn't leave us with nothing to do. If we recognize even a splinter of who God is and who he is to us, we will want to remain in his love. We want to remain in the vine, and Jesus tells us how to do this in John 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So we cannot live any old how and expect all the blessings of God to be just the same, no matter how we live. Our relationship with God is going to be impacted. He can still love us because we don't earn that love, but there's no meaningful relationship when we ignore an essential part of who he is, his holiness, his justice, his transcendence, his sovereignty, when we try and reduce God Almighty to an affectionate, benevolent, grandfatherly figure who will love us come what may, then we're walking on very dodgy ground. That's putting it mildly. And I think there's a cultural shift. I think this is true that... We have, um, in the world generally, there's a cultural shift of people saying, I can believe what I want to believe, or if I believe it, it's true. Various different versions of that. And I think, going back a couple of generations, people, I'm thinking of my grandfather, and people seem to be very aware of the judgment of God. That they had fear of the Lord, a proper fear of the Lord, in a good way. In some senses, they had to be persuaded that he is a loving God as well. They could see that justice and holiness. They didn't always uh, have such a sense of his love. But the culture has changed, and I do believe that now people can relate to the love of God, and that's all they want to see and hear. I think there's a tendency that we need reminding of his holiness and the judgment And Jesus does very clearly remind us of this if we are prepared to see it in the New Testament. So we can see the law of Moses like a mother's loving instructions. Torah was intended to be God's caring instructions for every aspect of life and showed Israel the best way to live. So that's how God sees the law and how we can see it as well. at one point in the New Testament, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus as they discuss the Torah. And they asked him about the greatest commandment. And Jesus quoted the Torah to them from Deuteronomy. So they asked him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind or strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, what is the whole point of Torah? What is the one thing that we can look to that encompasses everything? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbour. Those words are taken from the uh, Deuteronomy 6 I've always called it the Shema prayer, I've heard it called the Shema, I'm not quite sure how to say it, but you'll recognise the words, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. So Jesus is saying the point of the Torah is to fall deeper in love with God, that was God's intent for the law. And if Jesus said the Torah and the prophets, the law was to love God with all our heart, soul, our strength or might. In other words, love God with everything that we have within us or can muster with all our resources, physical strength, financial ability, creativity, gifts and talents, our time, giving all in order to love God. Then that sounds like that phrase, the living sacrifice that we come across in the New Testament. But it is all for our benefit. And it's all for the glory of God. The Bible says that nothing can separate the believer from the love of God in Christ. And those wonderful words in Romans 8, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's love has all the qualities of 1 Corinthians 13 and more. It's not fickle. It's not a sentimentalised emotion that impulsively acts on a whim, out of hurt or misplaced infatuation or frustration. God's love for everyone is why Jesus died on the cross. And God's love for those who trust him is why he holds them in his hand and promises never to let them go. I just want to finish with the Ephesians. I'm hoping, um, I do always say, chew the fish, spit out the bones. If there's anything that's been difficult, then please speak to me or somebody like Andy and do discuss it in your life groups. If I want to just try and say that I'm trying to give a balanced view of the love and the holiness and justice and the other qualities of God I think there's a little risk when we just look at one facet of who he is we miss out on some wonderful wonderful aspects of God and we miss out on the truth and the reality of who he is let me finish with the prayer for the Ephesians this is from Ephesians 3 for this reason I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name I pray that out of his glorious riches